0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am your teacher, Jeremy Myers. People say that a dog is a man's best friend, but when God sets out to create a partner for Adam, Adam rejects all the animals in the world, even the dogs. And it's a good thing too, because that is when God creates the woman. (laughs) The creation of woman is what we're looking at today in Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, calling this podcast episode, The Beauty and the Beasts. Hey, uh, before we look at the text, though, I want to invite you to partner with me in publishing the One Verse Podcast. I mentioned this before, but podcasting, blogging, writing books, a lot of the things I do online, it gets very expensive. And um, sometimes I wonder how long I can keep it up, to be honest. Uh, This isn't my job. I don't even make anywhere near a full-time living from it. And I don't know how bloggers do that, (laughs) but I don't. And uh, I don't sell nearly enough books or anything like that. So, uh, if you appreciate what you're learning on this podcast, I would really invite you to partner with me by uh, maybe making a one time donation, a one time gift, or even better yet, a recurring donation. Any amount is helpful five, ten bucks. Uh, it, It would just be great if you could partner with me in that and help me cover some of the costs so I can keep putting out these podcasts as we work our way through scripture and uh, seeking to liberate scripture from the shackles of religion one verse at a time. Anyway, if that's something you would like to do, uh, you can go to redeeminggod.com partner to learn more. You'll see some of the expenses I have in running my blog, running my podcast. And also there's a place there for you to make a one-time gift or set up a recurring donation. Either way is fine. And I appreciate any amount you can give. Thank you so much for partnering with me in this way. So uh, let's begin to look at Genesis 2, 20 through 23. I have two little stories, sort of humorous stories I picked up from Ziony Zevitt. He's a Jewish rabbi. He teaches at uh, some Jewish university, I believe, in California somewhere. I can't remember whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco. Anyway, he wrote a book called What Really Happened in the Garden of Eden. It's a fascinating book from a Jewish perspective. Anyway, in it, he tells two humorous stories about the creation of Adam and Eve. Here's one. One day in the Garden of Eden, Eve called to God and said, Lord, I have a problem. What's your problem, Eve? I know that you created me and put me in this lovely garden with all the animals, but I'm just not happy anymore. Why not, Eve? What happened? Well, Lord, I guess that I'm getting lonely. These animals don't talk, and to tell you the truth, fresh apples just don't do it for me anymore. Eve, I have a solution. I'll create a man for you. What's a what's a man, Lord? Well, he's a bit like you, but flawed. He's tough, and... Not real easy to get along with, but he'll be bigger and faster than you, so he can help out when needed. But he'll also be a bit slower than you in his thinking, and so you'll have to help him figure out what to do. Eve thought for a few moments, scratched her head, and said, Well, it sounds okay, I guess. I could use the help. So what's the catch? Well, there is one condition attached. Eve smiled wisely and asked, and what's that, Lord? You'll have to let him think I made him first. (laughs) I know as you were reading through that, you're thinking, hey, wait, Adam was created before Eve. Uh, Anyway, so the punchline there, obviously, Eve was created first. That's the story. That's what makes it humorous. And it fits with reality too, how how men want to be first and so on. Anyway, here's the second story, and it takes the opposite approach. One day in the Garden of Eden, Adam called out to God, Lord, I have a problem. What's your problem, Adam? I'm lonely, and the animals aren't fun. The food is a bit flat, and there's nobody to talk with. Well, Adam, I have a solution. I'll create a woman for you. What's a woman, Lord? Well, a bit like you. But she'll know how to take care of you. She'll cook good dinners. She'll give you a massage after you shower. She'll fill you in on what happened all day. She'll remind you what you have to do. She'll be your friend. Adam thought for a few moments, scratched his head and said, Wow, that sounds pretty good. What will it cost me, Lord? Well, I was thinking about an arm and a leg. Adam smiled wisely and asked, "Okay, and what could I get for a rib?" That's <laughs> uh, also like men, right? Oh, we see a good deal, and and uh, so we barter a little bit. We say, "Well, I don't know if I can I can pay that much. What what can I get for a rib?" Uh, it's sort of both stories sort of are humorous insights into the nature and the character of both men and women. Now um, the first story, men, you know, always want to be first, and uh, yeah, women need someone around to help them. But overall, they're pretty self-sufficient. Um, in the second story, you know, men are looking for a good deal, and they're willing to give up on some great things if they can, you know, save a little bit of money or whatever. But anyway, uh, the funny thing is, is that's sort of what we're looking at today in Genesis two twenty twenty three, how men and women can partner with each other. Uh, why God gave women to men. And also, we're going to be talking a little bit about that so-called rib that um, God takes from Adam and creates the woman from. So let's begin, though, in verse 20, where the text says that God set out to make a helper for the man. I especially want to focus on that word helper. Now, there have been some throughout history and church tradition and so on that have used that word helper to teach or to indicate, imply at least, that the woman is somehow inferior to the man. I mean, if she is his helper, then that must mean he's in charge and, you know, she must do what he commands. The, the, the truth is that nothing could be further from the truth. If you've ever heard that, don't even believe it for a second. The word for helper there is the Hebrew word etzer, and it does not imply inferiority in any way, shape, or form. In fact, God himself is frequently described as the helper of his people. Uh, Deuteronomy 33, seven; Psalm 33.20, a couple other references. So, because of that, some, some notable Hebrew scholars point out that that word etzer carries uh, the connotation of the one who actually gets the work done. <laughs> and that's, that's what we see oftentimes in life. It certainly fits with the experience of many women, right? Man sits on the couch watching TV and scratching himself, and the woman's the one who actually gets all the work done. Anyway, uh, you know, that, that's sort of maybe what we see with God, too. God's the one who gets all the work done, and uh, we humans, we sit around and mess things up. Anyway, the point is, is, this word helper, it's not indicating anything inferior at all. It's showing that just as God is the powerful partner in the divine human relationship, in a way, the woman also is the powerful partner in the relationship. Uh, She's the one who gets the work done. She is um, not inferior in any way. So while helper might be a good translation, a decent translation, it's a fine translation of that Hebrew word etzer, uh, a better translation, some Hebrew scholars have, have recommended this, suggested this. A better translation might be something like powerful partner. All right. Rather than helper, you could even partner would would be better than helper, because partner indicates equality. And one way we see that also is another Hebrew word in the context. It's it is that word partner there. In fact the the word partner is there and it's it's a Kenagdao in Hebrew. Um, and, uh, the, the, some translations, you look at various English translations on this and you're going to see that they have some trouble figuring out how to translate this word. Some some do translate it as partner, uh, the new American Bible translate it as suitable. I actually really like how the new King James version translates it, which is comparable or, or, or counterpart might be a good, a good translation also, especially in light of the context of where Eve comes from. Uh, but again, when you take these two words, etzer and kenagdow, and put them together in relation to the creation of woman, then what you have together is a powerful counterpart to the man. Uh, th- this indicates that the woman is in absolutely no way inferior to the man, but she is absolutely comparable to him. She is the perfect and powerful counterpart to the man. Yes, she's different. Absolutely, she's different, but she's equal. We saw back in Genesis 1:26 and 27 that the man and the woman were made together in a relationship to be the image of God. And that's the same idea that we see here in Genesis 2: this idea of being helper. They are powerful counterparts together. They are equal but different. And the point in the context here is is that the woman fills a void in the life of the man that neither the animals nor even God himself, we saw that a few episodes ago, God himself recognized that he was not enough and the animals aren't enough. Only the woman can fill that void in the life of the man. And and that's why God creates this powerful counterpart, this, this person who is comparable to him. She alone is the helper That fits. And that's what we see in the rest of uh, verses 20 through 23. Now, what I find interesting here is that what happens is even though I believe, I'm certain, God Himself knows what Adam needs, what Adam wants, that, that the helper, the woman will be a helper comparable to Him, God doesn't initially, immediately create a woman, the partner, the helper for the man. Instead, God parades a bunch of beasts before Adam. This is the beast parade. Beauty and the beast? Well, we start with the beasts. What happens in Genesis 2 is God brings this parade of animals before Adam. And he's bringing them for several purposes. One is, we looked at these last week a little bit, this idea that Adam can name the animals Uh, classifying animals, giving them names. It's one way that Adam exercises his dominion, his priestly authority, you know, that he carries out the image of God on earth. You know, God gives gives names to his creation in Genesis chapter 1, and now Adam, who is the image of God on earth, he gives names to the animals. So we looked at that in episode 32 last week when we looked at Genesis 2.19 uh, and how humans are to imitate God and imitate one another. This whole Imitation activity, okay? I I want to emphasize it again because it will be coming up quite a bit in Genesis chapter three, in Genesis chapter four, and in fact, all the way throughout the Bible, and if you are observant, it's happening every day in your own life. We looked at that last week, Genesis 2.19. If you missed it, go back and listen to it, episode 32. So uh, Adam, he's to name the animals. That's the first reason that God causes this parade of beasts before Adam. But really, the second reason, in light of what we're looking at today, is that uh, before that God wants Adam to really understand that as great as the animals are, even they are not the companion that Adam needs and desires. Adam, he's alone in the garden, and God himself is not enough, and so God brings the animals to show Adam that even the animals are not enough. After the animals go by, the text says, there was not found a helper comparable to the man and so I think what God is doing here is he's really sort of amplifying or uh, exaggerating the lack that Adam feels God knew what Adam needs God had a plan to fulfill and meet that need but for some reason God doesn't immediately provide the cure instead Adam sort of or God sort of stirs the pot a little bit and make just to make Adam realize how deep his need really goes and I bring this up because I sometimes think that God does the same thing in your life and in my life. We often feel a lack, a need, a desire. And the the things we need, the things we feel, many times, most often I would argue, are probably good things, God-given needs, God-given desires. And so we wonder why God doesn't fill those needs, fulfill them, why He doesn't meet those needs, why He doesn't answer those prayer requests. Instead, it seems he delays, or he's silent, or he doesn't respond, or he gives us something that sort of helps, but it really doesn't fit the bill, doesn't fit our need, doesn't, doesn't do anything for us. And, and we wonder, well, God, why are you doing that? Are you playing games with me, God? Why don't you answer my prayers? You know, those sorts of things. I sometimes think that one of the reasons God does that is a sort of the same reason that he does it here with Adam. And it's so that... When the need is finally met, when the prayer is finally answered, when the lack is finally filled, that's when we can respond with praise and glory to God and say, yes, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is what my heart has been longing for. I often think that that is sort of one reason why we're on this earth, you know, as we wait for our glorified bodies. And I mean, I mean honestly, if... if If God wanted to, he could, the moment we believe in Jesus for eternal life, immediately transform our bodies and bring us into the eternal kingdom, you know, with our glorified, sinless bodies, no more grief, no more death. And he could do that, but he doesn't. I think one reason he doesn't is because that it sort of makes that entrance into the eternal state, that future perfect thing that we long for and desire. It's going to make it that much sweeter and that much greater. And we too will respond sort of as Adam does in verse 23. This, this is the one, this is the thing. This is what I've been looking for. That's the way it will be when we finally get the thing that we know we were made for. We know God wants for us, but for some reason, it's just not happening. It's just not, not, not being given to us. It will make it that much better when God finally does. He's not playing games. It's his own timing in his own way. That's what God does. With Adam here in verses in chapter two, verses twenty through to twenty-three. So anyway, that's uh, what's going on here. In verse twenty-one, then God finally creates the helper that Adam needs and wants. And I'm calling this the beauty pageant. Uh, <clears throat> there's no pageant really because there's not more than one that Adam's picking from. You know, sometimes the way we get on some of these TV shows, The Bachelor, and so on. There's just one, um, but it's the beauty. And this is the beauty in the beast. So now we have the beauty that is is coming upon the scene. And what we see here is that after Adam recognizes that neither God or the animals are enough for him, you know, he needs someone like himself to relate to, that is when God creates the woman. And the fact that God creates the woman as a partner for the man in Genesis 2, it it really wouldn't have been lost on uh, the first readers or first listeners of this story. I've mentioned uh, numerous times in previous podcast episodes Uh, there was a wide variety of creation stories, Babylonian, Canaanite, Egyptian creation stories back at that time in the days of Moses, then people would have been aware of them, especially coming out of Egypt, going into Canaan, and just the Babylonian myths that were very prominent in those days. In one of these Babylonian creation accounts, the Gilgamesh epic, it's one of the most famous ones. It's a creation and flood account. Uh, The first created person is a man named Gilgamesh. He's the one who the story's named after, obviously. He's sort of a semi-divine being. He's sort of half-God, half-human. He's created from the gods. Uh, Anyway, it's somewhere along the way, the other gods decide to create a being who is equal to Gilgamesh to sort of give him some companionship and and a partner in, in life. And so when they do, guess what they do? They create Enkidu. He's a man, another man. He's the partner and helper that is equal to Gilgamesh, a man. They create a man who is equal to the man. And it's interesting, in a different Babylonian account, a Babylonian hymn this time, there's this reckless and rash goddess named Ishata. Uh, And the gods decide to sort of calm her down, and so they're going to create an equal companion, a partner for her. And when they do that, the god Enki decides to create this equal being for Ishata. And guess what is created? Not a man, but a woman, a female, whose name is Shaltu. So in that account, in the hymn, again, when they want to create an equal partner for a woman, they create another woman, another female. The equal partner to Ishata is a female, Shaltu. So it's interesting that in these two different accounts, They view men as equal to men and women as equal to women, but you don't see men and women being considered as equal, equal beings created by the gods. Men are equal to men, women are equal to to women, but they are themselves, men and women are not equal. So that's why I think one reason we have here in Genesis chapter two, when God sets out to create an equal partner for the man, he creates a woman. And I'm certain that Moses wrote the account this way. It's a polemic, again, to make a statement about the equality of men and women. In most cultures throughout time and history, even a lot of ways in our own culture today, men and women are not viewed as equals. Very frequently, most often, not in all cultures, but very often, women are viewed as being inferior to men. It was that way in the Babylonian culture, it was that way even in uh, Egyptian culture to some degree that way in the Hebrew culture. And so I think what Moses is writing here is a way to say, look, I know that some people view men and women, women as being inferior to men, but, but in the beginning, the way God intended it, men and women were equal partners. They are together created in the image and likeness of God. They are together existing in a relationship to serve God. Uh, god in this world and and function as his priests and and as the statue of god in the temple of god carrying out the activity of god and reflecting the character of god to this world so uh that that's that's a big point here on why when god sets out to create an equal partner a partner comparable to adam that god creates a woman now uh this is also something that the creation of the woman from the rib reveals now I want to point out right here if you follow my blog that the word rib here doesn't mean rib the word rib here is cella and nowhere in scripture does it ever refer to a rib the, the bone in our chest it doesn't it, it doesn't refer to that at all so what does it refer to well, on my blog this past Tuesday, two days ago, I proposed something that I read in a book and uh, there's a link in the show notes to it. And I'm not going to mention it in this podcast, just in case you are someone listening to it and there's children around. Uh, the reason I'm not going to mention what some people refer think this, this word Sella is referring to is because it's, well, it's R-rated. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. It's Risque. Okay, and uh, this is a PG-rated podcast. At least I tried to keep it that way relatively. I warn you if it's not. But uh, th- basically the Bible scholars is that, the, that they suggest that the rib uh, is not, the word sella is not a rib at all, but to, well, a, a, a different bone. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> a different bone uh, that men don't have. So anyway, you can go read the blog post, find out more about that. Uh, and, and the scholars they're really who suggest that, they're not trying to be scandalous, I, I, I promise you. There's good exegetical reasons for the view, uh, and uh, biological reasons too, to be honest. Anyway, um, in light of further research and some of the comments I received, I really think if you were listening to this and you left comments and feedback on that blog post, sort of uh, what, you know, your insights, I basically have decided that I, I do not go with that view. Um... Yes the word "cella" is not a rib but I'm also not saying it's that other bone that I mentioned in the blog post um so what does it mean well the word "cella," as I mentioned in the blog post it wouldn't the word "cella" it means side literally and it's usually used in the other places in the scripture to refer to like the sides of houses the sides of boats the sides of doors that sort of a thing and so here in Genesis 2:20 it doesn't you, you you it doesn't say you, the literal translation is that God took one of Adam's ribs. What it says is God took one of Adam's sides. Okay, And this is more than just a rib. It's a side. Uh, some have suggested that what you could almost take it as God took, cut Adam in two. Uh, you know, cells divide and create two cells. Well, Adam, God divides Adam in half. And from one half, one side of him creates the woman. I think that's a little bit extreme. I think really what it's the view here is more that uh, God took uh, you know, a chunk out of Adam's side. Yes, it's going to include some of his ribs, but also a lot of the, the meat, the, the muscle and sinew and flesh, it, It's sort of like a side of beef. You've seen a side of beef. That's sort of the idea here. And the idea then is that the woman is formed not just from a rib bone, but from the flesh and bone of Adam's side. And that, that really helps explain what we read in Genesis 2.23, where Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. If it was just the rib bone, Adam couldn't say that necessarily. It was the bone and flesh that Adam took, and this chunk of bone and flesh became the woman. Uh, The word bone there, in case you're curious, is etsem, and the word flesh there is besar. Uh, There might be something a little risque about that word besar. It uh, could also be translated as meat. And uh, you can go read that blog post. Again, it's in the the, uh, show notes for this episode and go click on that and see what the word besar means in numerous other places not everywhere but in some places in scripture and i don't know if moses intended that or not but i don't know when adam first sees eve you can imagine what the response might be so we'll leave it at that the point is here the word sella here is not just a rib i think it's referring to a big chunk out of adam's side now having said that what i don't think really necessarily happened i don't think that in in genesis 2 22 when god puts adam into a sleep a lot of times uh people think oh well this is sort of like divine anesthesia god uh puts adam to sleep so that he's unconscious so that god can perform surgery on him and that's why some people go with a rib because they say well you know the rib is the only bone in the human body that can grow and okay i understand all that but but it doesn't. It doesn't mean rib. It means it means side, and uh, again, so, so the, the the criticism then as well. But a whole side doesn't regrow. If God is going to take a big chunk out of Adam's side, you know, all of the bones and the muscle and the flesh. That's he's going to have this big huge wound there. He's not going to recover. Look, what, as soon as we start to go down this trail, we begin to have too uh, scientific of a of a of reading of an account. Now, I prefer. What John Walton says in Genesis, in his book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, there's links to that in the show notes. Also, I, I highly recommend that book. Uh, I had him when I was studying at Moody Bible Institute. He currently teaches at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. Anyway, um, in his book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, he really points to the terminology of deep sleep in Genesis 2.22 and basically says that this we shouldn't understand what's going on here as God putting Adam to sleep so that God can perform surgery on him. No, he says what's going on here is that God put Adam to sleep to show him a vision. This is a visionary sleep. That's how we should understand this. Um, God isn't physically performing surgery on Adam, taking a chunk out of Adam's side to create woman from it. No, what God does is he puts Adam to sleep, and then in this sleep show sort of a chunk of Adam's side coming out of him and being formed into a woman. And then when he awakes from this visionary sleep, there she is. He still has his whole side. God didn't actually take it, but it was a vision. Uh, God put Adam to sleep to show Adam what Adam needed. And then when Adam awakes, there she is. And that's why Adam says, wow, this is her. This is the one. This is what I saw in my sleep. That's how John Walton says we should understand it. And it makes a whole lot of sense to me, especially, especially when read in light of Ezekiel 38. This is the valley of dry bones. People have proposed that Ezekiel 38 is sort of a commentary on this creation of the woman in in, uh, in, uh, Genesis 2, just as there's this valley of dry bones and, 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 and God puts the bones together and covers the bones with flesh and then breathes flesh uh, life into these these uh, bodies. Uh, this is a vision that Ezekiel is having. God didn't literally, you know, do this. God, e- Ezekiel isn't seeing this literally happen. It's a vision God is showing Ezekiel, and, and that's similarly how then we can understand what's going on here in Genesis 2. It's a vision. Adam sees a vision of God creating Eve, and when Adam awakes there she is okay so that's how I understand it I think that makes the most sense the real significance though uh, of this vision of what you know understand it however you want if you want to disagree that God really did go ahead I don't care whatever it just that's not the point the point for me I think and this is why I emphasize that that Eve was made from the rib I'm not not the rib from the side of Adam not rib is because of this idea of of equality between the men and the women. Uh, uh, She is his very own flesh and blood. She comes from his side. That means she is part of him. She is him. To mistreat her is to mistreat himself. To treat her as inferior is to treat himself as inferior. I think that's why this vision is there. And I think since Moses is trying to show why Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, are equal partners in work with God, contrary to what was often found in the Babylonian culture and the Canaanite culture with the women being inferior. And when the gods want to create a partner equal to Gilgamesh, the male, they create another male, so on, all of that. Moses is trying to present a different picture here. And so the real point here is that she is his equal partner because she is part of him. They are, to, to take this word "sela" literally, they are side by side. She is his side, not just at his side, she is his. His side. Um, she is his very own flesh and blood. In fact, taken taken a little bit earlier with this this uh, powerful partner, you could almost say she's his better half. (laughs) To put it that way. Again, the, the point though isn't to compare who's better, who's worse. The point is they are equal. Yes, she is different from him, but she came from his side, and so they are to live and rule and serve in God's creation together. They are to walk side by side through life. They are both together the priesthood of God in God's creation. That's how it was from the very beginning. Now, this equality gets messed up, Genesis chapter 3. We'll be discussing that later. But for now, I just want you to recognize that in our marriages, uh, in our relationships, in this world, men and women are created to be equal partners with one another it doesn't mean we avoid ignore try to cover up our differences we are different we're to celebrate recognize rejoice in those differences but we are to recognize that you know while there's some things men can do better that's a reality and there are things women can do better that's a reality all right we don't try to make all women into men we don't try to make men into women each one of us is a partner And that means the things I'm weak in, the things I can't do, well, maybe there's a woman around, woman around like my wife, who can do it for me, help me with it, serve alongside me, not serving me, but serving God, serving the world, serving alongside me as I serve her, as I do the things maybe she can't do. All right. As we carry out our priestly roles and responsibilities God has assigned to us in life, we work with one another as equal partners in the work. We're all equal and we need each other. Your job in life is not to make yourself like everybody else. Your job is to figure out what you can do best in life and then do it. Serving other people, serving God by doing what you can do best— And your job also then is to encourage and strengthen and support other people in what they do best, to encourage others in whatever they do best, whether they're a man or a woman. And that is how we all become powerful partners with one another in living this life together. So I hope that sort of makes sense of this text, why the woman came from the side of Adam and how that shows equality and partnership, different but equal. We can all focus on what we do best and support others in what they do best. Now, I sort of bring that up, just to bring it back around. One of the things I do best, and it's why I spend so much time blogging and writing books, studying scripture, teaching on podcasts, teaching other people, and Bible studies and things like that, it's because I've recognized, with the help of my wife, that this is what I do best. One of the ways I try to partner with you in journeying through this life is teaching the things that I've learned, teaching the things that I've studied. That's what I do best. And I hope you enjoy these podcasts and what I'm teaching. And look, if you want to partner with me, well, it's sort of what I invited you to do at the beginning of this podcast, you can partner with me. And if you have, you know, if you want to support me by giving a donation, I would greatly appreciate it, one time gift. I'm not saying you have to, but if that's something you feel God leading you to do to encourage me to partner with me, then it uh, might be a way for you to do that. Uh, to do that, if you look into that a little bit more, just go to redeeminggod.com/partner. You'll see there some of the breakdown of my expenses and uh, also how to make a one-time gift or set up a recurring donation. Thank you for partnering with me in that way. If you feel so led. Next week, we're going to be looking at Genesis 2.24 about the leaving and the cleaving. How this may not actually mean what you think it means. So we'll be looking, studying, learning about that more next week. Until then, keep following Jesus into the world and partnering with one another as you do it.